All right, we are in a sermon series called Canyons right now that we're going to be taking a break from today since it is uh, the church birthday. And uh, so if you're following along in your journals, we're going to be kind of a week behind. We'll, catch, we'll be doing week two next week uh, through the Canyon series. And I wanted to tell a story today that I've told before. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. And really good stories are worth retelling. And when we think about uh, this being kind of our fifth birthday, I want to go back to one of the early stories in the church. Uh, and, it, and it takes place in a courtroom. And, uh, there's a court, and it takes place in a courtroom in Jerusalem right around just after 33 AD. And there's a young fisherman who's on trial, and his name is Cephas. But those who are close to him know him as Peter. And Peter's on trial because he's proclaiming something that is considered... Uh, dangerous and blasphemous. He's proclaiming that there was a man named Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah uh, that died and was crucified on the cross and conquered death and rose again. He was claiming resurrection. This young fisherman named Peter was saying that this Jesus who lived died and he rose from the dead and I saw it with my very own eyes. And this Jesus who died and rose from the dead uh, is the son of God. And there were people around Peter who had seen it as well. And, and they were saying, we, we saw this, we experienced it, there was resurrection, Jesus conquered death, he came back, we saw it with our own eyes. And the message of, of this resurrection started to kind of move throughout the community in Jerusalem. And Peter was in charge and he was leading it. And as he's telling everyone about this message that there was this man who claimed to be the Messiah, who died on the cross and rose from the dead... Um, it starts to create just a lot of unrest in the community. Jerusalem is this place that's been conquered by the Roman Empire. Um, they're, they're led by uh, the kind of the religious elite. And this is the kind of message that could really shake things up. It's a dangerous message. And so Peter is on trial because of this message that he's proclaiming. And as he's on trial, there's this heated debate about what's happened. And Peter's saying, it's true, I saw it with my own eyes. There's a man named Gamaliel, who's a Pharisee, who speaks up in defense of Peter, which is a surprise. You would think that he would be out to get Peter. As they're trying to figure out what to do with Peter, this man named Gamaliel speaks up and he says, we've seen these kind of things happen. We're we're living in this place where there's radicals all the time that claim to be the Messiah. And they claim to be here to free us from the Romans. Like, we've seen this. There was a guy named Thutis. Who, who, who proclaimed this, and he took about 400 people and went out into the desert, and then the Romans came and just destroyed them. And there was a man named Judas who also claimed that this was going to happen, and he gathered this following, and sure enough, the Romans come in, and they just they squelch the, the rebellion. So if Peter is proclaiming something that is man-made, if he's trying to just trick everyone, and he's just out to, to break us away from the Romans, the same thing's going to happen. It's just going to, you know fizzle out and be gone. But if what Peter is proclaiming about this Jesus is actually something God is with, if God is behind it, then no matter what we do to Peter, we're not going to be able to stop it. We could, whatever we try to do, we won't be able to stop it. He basically says, it is, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop this message that Peter is proclaiming. And sure enough, we know the story that that the church kind of bursts forth onto the scene. Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church, the original birthday, right? This is five years for us, but really we're celebrating something that's been around for thousands of years. This message that Jesus is the Messiah 
that he conquers sin on the cross. He goes to death. He rises from the dead. Resurrection. There's a whole new type of world that has broken through that, that is pointing us to our eternal destination, but we're catching glimpses of it now. And this group of people at that time called The Way are proclaiming this message that there's this different kind of world that is breaking through right now. And it's called the church. This group of people who proclaim this message of Jesus conquering death, offering us salvation. This is a message that has been around for quite some time. And this whole story, when you think about this message and you think about the activity that, that Galileo puts it to the test, Galileo, not Galileo, Galileo, uh, he, says, he says, if it's unstoppable, if it's from God, it will be unstoppable. And we find that it is unstoppable. In Acts chapter 1, it tells the story of the church from that first moment. And I want to read just the first 11 verses. In Acts chapter 1, it says, in my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And this is the message Peter's proclaiming. It says, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when the, they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was gazing into heaven, uh, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven uh, from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is Acts chapter 1. A familiar passage for those who grew up in the church. Maybe you're hearing these words for the first time. But these words are 2,000 years old. The story of Jesus rising from the dead, appearing to his disciples. And there's a couple questions that are asked here. First of all, these words are written by a man named Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you read Luke, this is kind of like the sequel to it, is the book of Acts. And it was written to Theophilus, uh, which means loved by God or friend of God. And that could be a generic term for us, like this is the Theophilus, you, you people who are loved by God, or maybe it's a specific person. But he's writing into this context with a couple of reasons why. It's, he's He's providing a history. The book of Acts is a history of what the church is. It's a guide of how the church interacts with culture and spreads. And it depicts the triumph of Christianity in the, the face of persecution, the midst of everything that they're up against. Acts says, here's how the church spread, and it was unstoppable. And when Luke tries to tell this story, when he starts to tell the story about Jesus, he says, all that Jesus began to do on earth. All that Jesus began to do. Oftentimes when we think about the work of Jesus, we think about his life and the cross and resurrection. 
And yet, what Peter, what Luke is saying here is that Jesus' work has just started with his life and death and resurrection. And now the work of the church, the work of his people is continuing. That was the work that just began that day in that time. But now it's continuing with his people and with his church to this day. And here we are, 2,000 years later, celebrating a five-year birthday. But really, there's, there's so much more than that. The explosive growth, the unstoppable growth of the church, it starts off with about 120 people. Um, in around 33 AD. If you look around this room, there's probably about 100, 120 people. 150 if you're using church planning numbers, but um, <laughs> we usually average about 100 to 120 adults on a Sunday. And within 300 years, this message had grown to 33 million people. It, it exploded, this message of Jesus. What is it that made it spread? What was the reason that it took off and exploded? Um, I think there's an interesting question that's asked in this passage. The first question, I want to look at two questions. The first question is this. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 6, the question is asked by the disciples to Jesus. At this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to make things right here? The hope that we have restored to bring back to the original standing, to give back, to set up again, to restore to its original position, and what they're talking about is earth before the fall, before brokenness, before sin comes into this story. Are you going to restore things to as they are today? And the way that Jesus answers this question is he says, one, it's not for you to know. But then he gives them a mission. He actually commissions his people to say this work of restoration that's bringing about redemption and salvation and healing. He's giving them a calling to say, you're going to participate in that work. There's a calling for God's people as a church to join God in the restoration of the world. He commissions them with a work. He gives them a mission. He says, you will be my witnesses, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He gives those people a calling. How does this mission spread? The early church was committed to joining God in the restoration of the world that God is healing, that God is bringing about forgiveness, that God is making things that are broken be put back together. And he's starting inside of us, our soul, bringing about redemption and restoration. This mission is something that drove them as a community. A couple of things about this mission. First is that the mission, this calling from God in Acts chapter 1, this calling, this mission gives unwavering faith in conditions of extreme uncertainty. When you think about what the early church was faced with, they, they have this unwavering faith because they've been commissioned by God to join him in this work of restoration. I've heard that, that uh, any kind of a startup company, basically you are, you're, you're working in conditions of extreme uncertainty um, to do a startup. Um, when we celebrate five years, uh, my sister-in-law, she owns a, a small business, was telling me, five years is amazing. In fact, 85% of small businesses and startups don't make it. Five years, 85%. And my thought was, and I think the number for churches is something like 90% or something. But, it, but you're, we're, we're creating something new in conditions of extreme uncertainty. And that's okay because of the calling, because of the mission that has given us this unwavering faith that what we're participating here at Desert City is, is something that is in touch with eternity. 
There's something that we're doing here that's going to outlive us, not just kind of our lives here, but, but we're working in the business of souls. We have the ability to influence people for eternity. And so because of that, no matter what the uncertainty is of a church plant, there's this unwavering faith that we're a part of this eternal calling of God's people. We're a part of something that allows us to have great faith in the midst of uncertainty. Desert City started uh, five years ago, actually six years ago, in, in homes on Sunday nights. And there was about 15 people or so that would come together and they would pray and we would take communion and we would just pray for the community. We called it bread and wine. We would, we would take communion together and pray for the community. And then after doing that for three or four months, we started to gather publicly. I remember the first Sunday that we gathered together, I think we had 70 people or so. And from that time, the membership of the church has grown to over 300. And we've just seen God faithfully adding to our number daily as we've participated in just this work of restoration. And if you were here today, you've been prayed for all the way back to the beginning. In the midst of this uncertainty, we were just praying for this community that, that God would bring together relationships, new friendships, that people would find a home, and that people would find a mission and a cause to just get behind, to give their lives to. The mission gives an unwavering faith because we're in the business of working with things that are eternal. The second thing that this mission uh, does is it, it gives, it requires courageous strength. It requires us to have a courageous strength about, uh, about what we're doing here as a church plant. Um, five years doing setup and teardown is not easy. Um, there, there's like a supernatural strength, I think, that kicks in for, for people that are on the setup and teardown team or in the children's ministry team. But we're creating an environment for people to come and to connect and to worship and for the, the word to be preached. I had heard uh, Andy Stanley talking about in his book, Visioneering, about uh, when, uh, when Katrina hit. Right? Remember, we remember the, the, big, the big hurricane um, you know, wipes out uh, a lot of things. But when people were starting to protect their neighborhoods for Katrina, uh, they started to build sandbags. They were filling sandbags to protect their neighborhoods, not knowing, like, the water is coming, all of this, the flood's coming. Uh, and they would just spend hours filling bags with sand. And Andy Stanley says, I can't think of a more dull activity to do than filling bags with sand hour after hour and stacking sandbag after sandbag. But when you know the danger of what's coming, that there's this flood that's coming with this hurricane-like force, all of a sudden you filling sandbags becomes something that is sacred and important. It's not just that you're filling bags of sand. You're building protection for your community. A task that seems ordinary and mundane all of a sudden becomes sacred and urgent. And it's the same way with the church, the work that we do here. Because of what our mission and our calling is, there's this uh, courageous strength that comes that says, even though we meet in a cafeteria and even though it's hard work what we're doing, what we're doing is important. There's something sacred about this gathering, about what we're doing here, serving in the kids' ministry, telling our, our children about this story of God's love, creating an environment that doesn't quite feel like a cafeteria, even though it does. All the different ways that people serve and create environments here. There's, there's something sacred about it. There's, there's a courageous strength because of what our calling is as God's people. There's unwavering faith that comes with this mission. There's a courageous strength. And then 
The other thing is that there's just a, a radical generosity, a radical generosity because of what our calling is. Like we can give our resources to all sorts of things in this world, but to give our resources to the church, to give to this, this story that's thousands of years old that has having an influence on community, there's something sacred about that. And we see this with the early church. It grows and it expands because of the radical generosity of the people, being able to meet needs in the community, um, building something that is going to outlast their own lives. And we've experienced that radical generosity here at Desert City. Um, and, it, and it's been amazing uh, to see how, how people here have just taken ownership. Um, after five years as a church, uh, we're in a stronger financial position than we've ever been as a church. Usually startups, you have all of these resources up front, and then three to five years into it, you're out of resources, and you're like, what now? Um, we have seen the opposite, um, being in a financial uh, position that is the strongest we've ever been. And that's possible because of your faithfulness and your radical generosity. Um, that allows this mission to continue. We're so grateful for that. The early church was radically generous. And I, I heard what, what's amazing is that our, you know, our, our God is generous. And so when we are generous, we do something that is in touch with the heart of our God who is generous to us. And we live in this world of consumption that says to survive. But the economics of the kingdom is to pour yourself out so that you can thrive. That rhymes. I thought of it like right before the surface, kind of cheesy. Um, but we live in a world of consumption that just says survive. But the economics of the kingdom and that we see with the church is to pour ourselves out so that we can thrive. Life that's truly life comes from radical generosity. And we could be generous to things because we know that God has called us and what we give to is part of an eternal story. Life that's truly life comes from when we pour ourselves out for the community. And then the fourth thing that we see is this mission. This mission moves forward with an urgency and risk-taking. In the early church, they were risk-takers. They were able to move forward into this Roman Empire um, risk after risk because their calling was so important from God. Being a part of a church plant's risky. There's all sorts of uncertainty. We'll show up on a Sunday and the air conditioning won't work. Um, the last minute we'll have to go to a different location. Uh, we're reminded that uh, as we are meeting in a school, it's, it's a temporary thing that we're, we're hopefully getting to the next step where we'll have a more permanent home in this community. That's what we're working towards. Um, we only have five years of history together, so it's not like there's this huge legacy and tradition that we're a part of. What we're doing is risky, and yet it's worth it because we're establishing a new expression of the body of Christ here in this community, in a community where there's no other established expressions of the body of Christ. And we're willing to take risks because of this mission that God has given us. This is, uh, I shared this quote before, but when it comes about comes to our work and our mission as a church. Um, I read this and I feel like it just sums it up so well. Going all the way back to the early church, Diana Butler Bass says this, the early community that followed Jesus was a community of practice. A community of practice. Jesus' followers did not just sit around the campfire and listen to lectures of Christian theology. They listened to stories that, that taught them how to act toward one another and what to do 
in the world. They healed people. They offered hospitality. They prayed together. They challenged traditional practices and rituals. They ministered to the sick. They comforted the grieving. They fasted and they forgave. These actions induced wonder, gave them courage, empowered hope, and opened up a new vision of God. By doing things together, they began to see differently. They were victims of one of history's most vicious empires, and they lived in utter, utterly hopeless circumstances. Yet the disciples did not hope the world would change. They changed it, and in doing so, they themselves changed. I love this story that we're a part of. When we practice the way of Jesus, when we put it into practice, living out what Jesus has commanded us to do, there's something so compelling about a community on mission, and it's unstoppable. And we've seen that in the five years that we have been here, beating so many different odds. We're a community of people that have this mission, this sacred calling that goes all the way back to Acts chapter 1. The unstoppable work of God. And we're a part of it. We give our life to it. And then finally, the second question in this passage in Acts 1, verse 11. These two angels show up as Jesus ascends into heaven, and they say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? There's a mission that you've been called to that requires action. Get busy doing it. The way of Jesus always requires us taking action, participating in the work of God here and now. That work gets done here on Sunday morning, but it also gets done throughout the week to be the body of Christ. Sunday through Sunday, not just on Sundays. We participate in this work of God that's restoring all the things that have been broken on this earth. And today we're reminded of this story that we're a part of. We've been here for five years participating in this work of God, but we're a part of a story that's 2,000 years old. And the mission that we have is sacred. It's a calling by God. Tim's going to come back up and close us. And today we're actually not going to close with communion. Um, But I want to take some time just to reflect on what's being done here. This expression of the body of the Christ called Desert City is something that we pour ourselves into. But it's so much bigger than just us. We're connected with the church historic and globally. And each one of us has a calling in the church. We've all been given different gifts, and we all participate in different ways. In a church plant, sometimes we have to do things that we're not necessarily passionate about. But we need everyone to participate in different ways. If you're a part of this, and this is our fifth birthday, um, for us, this feels like just the beginning. We come from a church that's 110 years old. And when we had decided to start Desert City, our thought was never just to have a church that's going to be there for five years. Our hope was to build another church that would be here for 110 years. So five years is still, we're just an infant. We're tiny. We're a baby. We're a toddler. Okay, we're getting a little bit more annoying as we get older, right? (laughs) But if you're here today, you are still part of co-founding this community. You're part of being church planters. You're part of this startup. And our desire is for for this to go somewhere. So today as we close, what I'd love to do is just ask, in what ways can you participate and contribute to the work that's going on here? 
to use your gifts and your calling to establish something that's not about me, that's not about Tim, that's not about the leadership, it's about this community saying we're on mission because this mission has been given to us by God. And we all play a role and we all participate. Let's go to God and say, Lord, just reveal in our hearts what you want us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for a reminder of how this church starts and how it starts in conditions of extreme uncertainty. And yet, Lord, you are there and you are with it. And because you are with it, it's unstoppable. Lord, we're so grateful for the work that you've done here over five years, for the new friendships that have started, for the community that has formed, for all of just the fruit that Desert City has produced already, Lord, we're grateful. We know that you were the foundation of the church and yet we've seen over the last five years that you've grown this foundation, a cultural foundation here in North Phoenix. And Lord, we know that you've called all of us to minister in different ways. You've gifted us that we participate in this work of restoration. Lord, I just ask that you would, you would give us unwavering faith. You would give us courageous strength that we would be a generous people, that we would live life with an urgency because of this story that we're a part of, knowing eternity is at stake. Prompt us today, Lord. May your church continue to grow through your people. And it's in your name we pray.